0: Welcome to the Church Times podcast. Loretta Minghella became the first church estates commissioner in November, succeeding Sir Andreas Whittam-Smith. The first church estates commissioner chairs the commissioner's assets committee, which oversees the management of its £7.9 billion investment portfolio. Before arriving at Church House, Loretta Minghella was chief executive of Christian Aid. Before that, she headed up the Financial Services Compensation Scheme, a job she says got very rocky indeed when the 2008 crisis hit. Our editor Paul Hanley spoke to Loretta Mingella about how her experience has prepared her for this post and how the commissioners are pressuring companies to improve their record on climate change and executive pay, among other things. Subscribe to The Church Times and receive 10 issues for £10. Go to churchtimes.co.uk slash subscribe. It's
1: quite a, an astonishing appointment for anybody. Mm. Male, female, um, whatever background really. It's mm. such a strange significant job. Mm. Uh, and I wonder how that has felt to you. How did you get here, really, I suppose? What's, mm. the, what's the journey to this place?
0: I suppose, um, for me, it didn't feel just like a step from Christian Aid in, into the church. Mm. It felt like the culmination of quite a lot of steps over quite a long period of time. Okay. Um, so if you don't mind, I'll go back and yeah. you can prune it all out, yeah, all sure. the boring bits. Um, but I I mean, I need to go back to the beginning. I was born into a Roman Catholic family, Mm -hmm. uh, Italian Roman Catholic family on the Isle of Wight, and I I grew away from, I mean, I was very um, much part of a church-going family all my childhood, but I grew away from the church in my late teens and spent the next 20 years more or less in the wilderness spiritually, I think I would say. Um, did it feel
1: like a wilderness at the time?
0: It did, actually. It felt oh, okay. like, um, you know, periodically I allowed myself to, 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 to be aware of the fact that something was missing for me and I didn't really know what it was. So I, I did feel like um, a loss. I, there was a loss there for me, but I didn't quite know what it was. And um, if I speed past a lot of boring stuff to... Uh, 2002, when I walked into the church that I now go to, which is St Barnabas, Dulwich, um, I was there with my eight-year-old daughter and she'd had a friend over to stay and the parents had said, could you bring our daughter up to church in the morning rather than to our house? Okay. Um, She used to be at choir rehearsal, half-past nine, service at ten, you can stay if you like, and it was really that simple. And my daughter said to me, you know, my little eight-year-old, who's now." 23 and still shaping my life quite a lot, she said mum shall we stay and see what it's like then um, and I said okay um, and that was it actually it was the um, most unexpected unlikely, overwhelming moment and um, yeah I've been going ever since um, fantastically disruptive moment for me because um, you know I'd spent these 20 years not practicing mm. anything much mm. um, it wasn't a catholic church so um Family didn't really understand it. I'm married to an atheist, um, so altogether it was it was quite a disruption, but it was also a fantastic one. And uh, after that, I began to think, well, here I am. I'm a financial services lawyer, which doesn't feel like everything that I want to do and carry on being. Mm-hmm. Um, so I sat with that for quite a while, <laughs> um, and found myself in two thousand and. Uh, seven, eight, uh, dealing with the financial crisis at the financial services compensation scheme, where I was then chief exec, Um, and there you have, you know, people say banks don't fall over, so when you take a job like that it feels like you might be going into, you know, your first chief executive job, quite a quiet one, all manageable, Um, and then of course things got very, very rocky indeed, Um, and I found myself in 2008 paying out 14 billion pounds of compensation in one day, Actually got a call on the Saturday, on the Saturday, twenty seventh of September two thousand and eight, telling me that Bradford and Bingley had gone bust, and that I was going to need to be, you know, bailing it, bailing out the customers, and I had to go and negotiate a fourteen billion pound loan on a Saturday night, which was quite a tall order. <laughs> it's
1: hard to find a working ATM machine. <laughs> yeah,
0: <on> exactly. <laughs> exactly. Um, so. So that was a big moment for me, and a big moment because, first of all, I realised that I could do more than I thought I could do, because I would never put myself forward for a job Mm. as big as that. Mm. Um, But also, it taught me something about my own reactions to the prioritisation of that. You know, we can find £14 billion on a Saturday night uh, to bail out a bank, but what about the really, really terrible things that are going on in the world where we say we haven't got enough money to do things about them? That didn't feel quite right to me. I've, and I had harboured a desire to work in international development at some stage, um, s- certainly in the charity sector, and that sort of crystallised that a bit more for me. Um, and something had happened to me um, earlier in that year, which is the other big thing, so there the are three things. The other big thing was that my, my brother Anthony died. It's coming up on Sunday to the 10th anniversary of his death of in course, March yeah. 2008. And he, he was only 54 when he died. And as you probably know, he was, you know, an Oscar-winning director yeah. and had everything going for him. You know that the world values, um, and it was really tough when he died. But it also helped me realise that, you know, life can be pretty short. So if you want to do something with it that you feel you haven't done yet, you better get on with it. Um, and obviously, I couldn't just walk out of the FSCS at that moment because we were right in the middle of the financial crisis. But it did make me really want to find something that I could put my heart and soul into and that would actually take my faith and do something really, you know, significant with it and then the Christian Aid job came up and that just looked like the absolute perfect job for me and I said to my daughter and my daughter was a little bit older by this stage I wonder who gets a job like that because that is a job that I would really love and she said mum you bang on about transferable skills and you know all of these things you bang <laughs> on about and if you don't apply you'll never know if it could That's be true. you so I did, and that, that worked out. So that was, you know, Christian Aid, seven and a half years, amazing privilege to run Christian Aid for, that, for all of that time. Um, but you put that on the back of five years at the FSCS, including during the financial crisis, I felt like I'd given my executive career what I could give it. Um, and so I began to think about uh, the non-executive um, portfolio that I've now, now got. Mm. Um, um, I didn't think it would be this, but I did know that ideally it would have my faith right in the middle of it in a really explicit way. I did want to feel like it was going to be. Able, I was going to be able to put that into action, and I wanted something that I thought could make use of this strange career I've had of twenty years in sure. financial regulation, seven and a half years in an international development agency. You know, um, I wanted something that would bring those strands together, and. When I got a call about this, I didn't think it was this. I thought, actually, this job would never go to someone like me. But I said to my daughter, you know, <laughs> she said, <laughs> Mum, you know. We, uh, should, we yeah. need a name for your daughter, I think. Olivia. 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 So she's, she's featuring, she's featuring quite big, heavily yeah. in this. She's a really, really important person in my, right. uh, in my journey, which I, I suppose is true for any um, a mum, but she's played an important role. She's a bit of a prophet, I think. She's an important role, and uh, she's she's very theologically demanding um, of me all, all the time. But she did say about about this. Well, you know, if you put yourself into the process, be who you are, mm-hmm. pray through the process. You know. yep. So, so it seems really strange, but for me, it doesn't feel as strange as it might look from the outside. There's
1: some people who, who might think this is a a step down in a way because the Christian Aid job was was very big. I mean, it was a global yeah concern.
0: I think there's a very very big difference though. This is a non-executive role. Right. Um, it's uh, so it's a you know being the chief exec is inevitably whatever you're running is a twenty four seven sort of role. Yeah. When you're running an organisation which is in forty countries and mm. um, you know with everything that Christian Aid does, that's a really big intensive chief exec sure. role. But you, any chief exec needs somebody next to them um, who can you know, be one of those um, people who gives them the most challenge and support that they're likely to get. And uh, this, this role takes with it the chair of the Assets Committee, and I have that role in relation to the church's investment portfolio. I'm also on Archbishop's Council, and now I'm on General Synod, and also chairing the group that's uh, overseeing the building of the new Lambeth Palace Library. And I keep running into other bits of corners right. of the role that right. seem to belong to me. So it's supposed to be a two-day-a-week role. It's feeling like a little bit more than that <laughs> at the moment. Um, but, but really, really uh, fascinating, and I'm just delighted to be here.
1: So have you filled up those two days, then, you reckon? Are you, are you are you have you reached capacity yet, or are you? Oh,
0: I'm I'm probably doing four or five days a week at the moment. <laughs> <laughs> um, oh no, I think that after the first year, it might be possible to reduce that a bit. Okay. But there's a big right. learning curve sure. in a job like this, sure. um, and I'm very delighted to be on that learning curve.
1: So, you you're sort of three months into the job, or thereabouts. Um, mm. So, what um, has happened to you in those three months, which has said? to you this is the right job for you hmm. you're in the right you've been placed in the right. oh
0: that's a very interesting question let me see um well i think is it is it fair to say this i think the commissioners have a some people see the commissioners as a bit remote i think that would be one thing i would say and a little bit grand i think we have a bit of that reputation would you think that's fair that's, <laughs> I've, I've heard it said i've heard that said yeah. and so I think, actually, people who know me well know that I'm not remote or grand, and I'm very, very keen uh, that the commissioners should be as open as possible about um, you know, what we're doing, what we're taking into account, uh, how we're spending the money, all of those things, how we're investing it. Um, so, I'm very pleased to be accountable and connecting with people about that. You know, The church is about relationships um, we're part of, uh, the the structures of the national church of course we should be uh, out there um, mm-hmm. en- engaging so I'm I'm hoping that this is going to be a useful um, thing that I can do to support the commissioners by being as out there and connecting as possible and uh, I I will be um, I've I've already had the chance to address all of the house of bishops um, about the you know some of my early impressions in the role I'm hoping to obviously build new relationships with them. I've, I had relationships with many of them as chief exec of Christian Aid, but getting to know them um, w- with this um, different hattel, Um getting out and seeing what work they're doing and what's, you know, what they're finding exciting, what they're finding challenging, so that I can help make sure what the commissioners are doing is as useful as possible. Okay. So that's one of the things right. I think I can do. I think um, I, I bring a background and understanding what the upshot is of business done well and business done badly and I, I bring that both from my days as a financial regulator and from my work at Christian Aid. Um, uh, I've I've probably dealt more with bad behaviour in my career than I've dealt with good behaviour <laughs> which is um, something I have to be quite mindful of right. as it makes me quite sceptical <laughs> about uh, um, what people are up to. Um, but i I see a great opportunity for the church in the course of its investing uh, to be a p- positive influence for good in how um, companies behave. And I see, I see this, and not everyone will characterise it like this, but I see this as missional for the church. If you think about the five marks of mission, and then you go to the fourth and fifth marks of mission, uh, challenging unjust structures and building up, you know, peace and reconciliation for five stewardship of creation integrity of the earth and so on i think the way we invest the way we engage with the companies that we invest in can change things for the better and i'm very excited about using the experience i have in the past my my work too on the ethical investment advisory group that i was a member of for some time now being part of the decision making and the engagement prioritization and so on with the corporate world is something that i feel i can bring something to and there is great work already going on here, so I'm not I'm not suggesting for a moment that, uh, that there's nothing happening, and I can, sure. you know, I, I mean, can in a change
1: way, things. In the in the way the the choice of you as mission mm-hmm. is, is an indication of, of the the sort of thinking that was already going on, uh, because absolutely the, uh, in a sense they, yeah. uh, what you're known for from the mm-hmm. Christian days is is, is the the ethical responsibility. And, mm. and so to appoint you to this yeah. post is, is a clear signal that that's part of what mm. the Commission is doing. mean, I think, uh, 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 delving back my memory, mm. um, it, it was always there but in a, a negative sort of way. Mm. So we wouldn't invest in these things, we yes. wouldn't invest in those sorts of things, mm. but but, um, but that was about mm. the limit of, of where the ethics
0: yeah. I think there's been quite a journey. So as you say, we started with the, these are the sin stocks, these are our red lines, we steer clear of those things, everything else is is fair game. Uh, I think we've then gone into a new phase with things like the climate change policy and the extractives policy, where we've said, look, you know, there are red lines. And so we did, for example, divest out some climate, um, you know, affecting companies but actually with most companies what we need to do is engage with them around these issues and look for improvements in their behavior along these lines and we can do that very well as an investor and if in if we do that we can have more positive influence and if they won't change then we have got the backstop of divestment but this is we've had to put more resources into that engagement. Obviously, that's that's time-consuming to do well. It needs to be done expertly. And I don't know how familiar you are with the transition pathway initiative stuff, um, mm. but you're probably you're looking like it's not <laughs> absolutely your bread and butter thing. wasn't really this uh, morning, I have to admit. Um, <coughs> I, I think this is really important and really exciting. When you think about just the devastating impact that climate change is having, and I've seen that on the front line. You know, I've seen the immediate of you know, the impacts of something like Typhoon Haiyan in the Philippines that was so devastating to millions of people's lives. I met on the front line you know, people who'd lost everything, who'd lost all their possessions, who'd lost relations, who'd lost children. I, you know, you, you can't come back from that without knowing. But people don't have to have seen that to realise and the church fully realises that climate change is an urgent problem. What do we want to do about it? Well, we want actually for example, companies that we invest in that are um, contributing to the problem to change their behaviour. So rather than just knock on the door and say, please change your behaviour, what we've done is develop this initiative with academic support, with um, other agencies involved. And, And just to give you the sense of the size of it, this is a June 2017 document that says about the initiative that is a global asset owner led initiative supported by asset owners and managers with over two trillion dollars of assets under management. That was June last year. It's now got people involved with over five trillion of assets between us. So it's really gathering pace and what we're all doing together is saying look, if you're serious about contributing to the halting and eventual reversal of this damage and you want our investment, you have to change along these particular lines, and we've actually set out what we're looking for. We've set out a framework, we've been very transparent about what we need them to do, and then we're monitoring their performance. So this is, we're regularly producing these documents that are saying, we've assessed you, this is where you are, this is where you need to improve. So they're under no illusion about what we're expecting of them, um, If if they want our continued investment as people who together have got $5 trillion under under investment. So I think it's a really, really important opportunity to do something that feels quite missional. Um, it's also, you know, from the kind of hard-nosed financial point of view, what we need to make sure that companies that we invest in are sustainable. You know, sure. we, So so, re, you know, ethics and responsible investment kind of go hand in hand in an area like this.
1: Um, but um, until recently, <coughs> we... The um, the message was that um, it was possible to be eth- it was to it best ethically, mm. but but that wouldn't necessarily affect the returns. Mm. But um, that's but there's always been a caveat that it, it might do so. Mm. Um, and I um, mean, I noticed that that when it's not exactly a profit warning, but nonetheless, mm. The, mm. there's the, there's the the, the the message that. These this year's returns aren't going yeah. to be as great as the previous years, which were yes. quite spectacular. Yes, um, so there are is, is this things. is this um, a just the way the markets are at the moment, or, yeah. or is are we seeing a, a cost of, of an ethical mm. program here?
0: Um, I think you will see in the annual report. I hope we'll be able to unpack this for you mm. um, that. Uh, sometimes there is a, a, a cost to investing ethically, and we just have to wear that, but actually it's not always a negative either. Sometimes uh, companies that are behaving more ethically do rather better, so it's not all one way, um, and it's, to be honest, it's um, it's not uh, anything to do with really overall the reason why the, this year's returns that we will report on this year for last year right. are going to be lower than the year before. Um, And you're quite right to pick that up on the grapevine, that is where we are. The things that have contributed to that, we can say much more about nearer the time. But In headline terms, you will know that in 2016, there was a referendum, that the referendum had a particular impact on sterling. And so if you own um, a lot of assets in other currencies, when they're marked back to sterling, they they look a lot better, and uh, they're worth a lot more and suddenly you get quite an upturn in your assets as a result of that. Well, we didn't have that currency effect in 2017. In fact, in relation to some currencies, it was rather the other way. Mm -hmm. Uh, So currency was um, what we like to call a tailwind in 2016 and a headwind in 2017's results. Um, The other thing is that one of the great strengths of the portfolio is that the assets are well spread. So we don't have all our eggs in the basket of UK equities for example, but if UK equities have a fantastic year and you're not mainly in them mm-hmm. then other people are going to do better than you've sure. done. Um, so it's partly the strength of the portfolio is in its diversity but that didn't particularly strongly pay off last year.
1: Um, sticking with the ethical stuff for a while, um, the, is there a problem with um, operating as a charity? Um, mm. Because the purpose of the commissioners is to Mm. raise as much money as they possibly can for the beneficiaries, Mm. which are the the retired clergy, Mm. the church in general. Mm. Um, So if you're benefiting um, um, a shore living fisherman in in, in, um, a developing country, Mm. rather than through your policies, rather than clergyman in Sussex, mm. are you not fulfilling your duties?
0: Uh, you're, you're absolutely right that we have these fiduciary duties that mean we have to actually look to make the best returns that we can. Mm. Um, I mean, one of the things that I'm hoping that we'll be able to do more of in the future is what I call win-win investments. We do some of those already. So they might be uh, investments in renewables, wastewater projects, and Mark might be able to give you some of the details, where we're not sacrificing financial return, but we are addressing a particular social need. Um, So I'm hoping that we'll uh, be able to do more of that. That's quite a sort of burgeoning market, it's not a very mature market, people mm-hmm. are coming forward with investments uh, that uh, have these social returns as well as financial returns. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> I think it's going to be much easier to back those where the financial returns are very compelling, but I, I, I think we're going to have to be quite intentional about um, increasing the amount of investment that we have in them. Um, so I think that we'll probably hope to do that over a period of years um our, our beneficiary is the church mm. and the church um, is obviously doing fantastic work to address people's needs all over the sure. nation um, so uh,
1: well, I think yeah. you'd you get a lot of backing and support from within the church mm. for um, uh, any ethical policy that you, mm. you wanted to pursue mm. um, and similarly um, uh, we're aware of the in the negative PR from, mm. from careless investment in, mm. in extractive industries, for example, in the past. Mm. So um, I don't think there's a problem there. But 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 um, I mean, legally, mm. there is a. You know, and how does that work? Do you uh, do you have to look over your shoulder at, at what the the um, is it the Charity mission who, who have to. Checking we we are the, we are regulated yeah, by the Charity yeah, Commission, yeah. yeah. Um, and do you, did they say, oh we're not sure about that one, or we're not very happy with this policy, or, or just I
0: think the, it's the Assets Committee right. that takes responsibility for making sure that the right. the, the investments that okay. the church is making are actually making best use of, of the portfolio to generate funds for the church right. and doing that in a responsible and ethical way and to be re- responsive to the Charity Commission were they ever to ask us about it. and Actually to report to them as any charity does about the work of, of, of the commissioners. Um, yeah, but I'm, I'm excited about, uh, I think the, the impact we're already having with our portfolio in terms of addressing social needs. And uh, I'm I'm excited about the possibility of doing more intentional work around these win-win investments over time. I okay.
1: okay. um, there's, there's a couple of other things. You'll do. Um, you're um, you've been active on um, executive pay, for example. Yes. Um, how is that developing? That's, what's the latest on that?
0: Well, we're in this AGM round. We are going to um, boards where the pay is clearly out of filter mm-hmm. uh, and asking them, you know, if necessary, voting against their their pay packages um, and making our presence felt around boardrooms in that way. The other priority we have in this AGM season, apart from climate change obviously,
1: mm-hmm.
0: is around diversity of boards. Yep. Um, we, we think diverse boards make brilliant business sense because the evidence suggests that more diverse boards actually give you better financial returns, mm-hmm. but we also actually think... Um, that the board should reflect to the wider society. Sure. Um, so, we think it's, it's uh, both the right thing to do and the smart thing to do, so I think how I would put it. Um, and we are, and it, it's not just a kind of um, airy fairy idea, you know, if a nominations committee uh, chair uh, is presiding over a committee that's not actually got a board in front of it with at least 30%. Women on the board, Mm -hmm. then we will vote against that chair. If the if the board does not have 25% female representation, we will vote against every member of the Noms committee. So we we've taken this up a gear this year, and we're doing it um, in in we work in collaboration with other investors who feel like us.
1: Because I'm like the the transitions pathway stuff is is, uh, the the strength of that is that you found other partners.
0: Yes. Yes, and we're very. I mean, our, our head of engagement is very active in building those relationships with other asset owners. And um, we we saw, for example, last year. I don't know if you picked up on the ExxonMobil Mobil yeah. um, AGM, where you know we were we, we built coalitions together with all kinds of unlikely <laughs> people um, to to get Exxon uh, finally to come to the table and look at the TPI and mm. make their first disclosures, which they finally did before Christmas. Um, Sixty percent of, of investors voted in favour of the resolution, and the great thing about that is, of course, that um, my you know my experience in, in previous role might be that companies would say, well, it's all very well for you to be outside with your placard, but actually we've got shareholders to worry about, and now I'm myself, you know, being the shareholder that they have to worry about, which is fine by me. And
1: <laughs> sure. well, there's a limit, isn't there? Because more more generally, mm. I mean, I mean, because the, the sort of positive engagement, I mean, you, the, the logic of that is that you, would mm. um, and if you're an American church, you might you might do this, but you you'd be investing in an arms manufacturer because to ensure that they sell their arms to the right people, to mm. teachers rather than former students maybe, um, so uh, where you talked earlier on about mm. red lines, mm. right, where Tell me where the red lines are and, and, mm. and how they how they develop how how they, how they get drawn.
0: Well, the the ethical investment advisory group has given advice to commissioners over a period of years, and the commissioners adopt policies which which reflect that advice, right. and those policies are the governing policies for investment choices. So that's where the you know I call them the sin stocks for short. But that's where we've got our firm guidelines about things that we have to steer clear of. Sure. Um, uh, things that, if we are invested in, we have to take special care around to engage for change. Um, And I think, in the end, in the engagement space, it's always about judgement at the end of the day. You know, you you have to make a judgement about if something's in front of you that looks like a real problem, either the company acknowledges it as a real problem, is doing something about it with adequate diligence and speed, uh, and looks like it's engaging with you, in which case that's not the time to run away because mm. you're actually yeah. having that changing impact on it, or you just don't think you're going to get anywhere. This is leans into, more into my regulatory experience really, but you start with a dialogue mm-hmm. uh, unless the behaviour is, is so manifestly egregious that it can't be escaped from. But, you know what what's happened here i mean in the extractive sector it's a sector which has quite often got itself or individual companies get themselves into difficulty they're doing very high risk work you know often all over the place so you don't just jump to a conclusion from that you say well what's gone on here and what are you doing about it what's your assessment and if you're convinced by that well okay but if you're not uh, then you have to put a, you know you have to actually say well has this become a red line situation um,
1: Well, you talk about The extractive industries. I mean, Mm.
0: in
1: in, say five years' time, Mm. do you think the commissioners will still be invested in oil companies by then? Where is that going?
0: I I think actually we're seeing quite a lot of engagement with the transition pathway initiative. I think companies are doing, um, by and large, pretty well. I think uh, you couldn't help but be worried about Exxon before it before December, uh, because. for us to have to go to the extent of rallying around sixty percent of shareholders in order for them to uh, engage seriously with it, mm-hmm. you know, it, it, it was as I came into the role something that I was obviously quite concerned about. But they seem to have got the message now and started to, to disclose. So, um, I, I think I, I'm I just I, I'm hoping that companies mean what they say when they want to be part of a, a future which is compatible with survival of the planet and survival of creation um, so I, I um, yeah, yeah. Okay. And I think we have to take it one step at a time I think it's quite difficult if you set up something like this mm-hmm. and the, the logic of it I think is really compelling then you can't, you can't run out of patience with it when you're telling people that you want them to do things otherwise I think you lose a huge amount of credibility in the engagement space so I think we have to engage seriously with them uh, the, the side part of that of course mm. is is the fracking business and, 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 um, and the amount
1: of land that the commissioners hold, mm. um, which has been earmarked, well not exactly earmarked, but, but mm. fracking has been um, certainly discussed. Mm. Um, where's where's the thinking on that at the moment?
0: Well, uh, I think there's quite a lot of misunderstanding about uh, the church commissioners and fracking, and the church's land, because um, the, the rights to to take the gas out don't belong to the commissioners you know do right. you know we've had to register our our own interests but we don't have actually it's not for us to make money right. out, out of extracting um, from our own land we are really you know concerned to make sure if, if there is to be any you know if there were to be any testing on any of our land um, which Know, can happen given that it's not our rights. Um, that our, if we're a landholder, that when we've got tenants there, that the, our tenants' rights are respected and protected. So, um, yeah, we have we have no plans to to make money out of uh, fracking anywhere in the country, as far as I'm aware.
1: What what other areas do you do you see us being involved with? Because, um, as you know, attempts to regulate and improve the morality of the, the city of been fairly abortive. Um, uh, how how good can you get the 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 um, how could, can you get capitalism made I suppose in this mm-hmm. in this general respect? And
0: well, it's quite interesting, you know, if you uh, I think you, you can you can tell yourself that it's only outside the city that anyone can see that capitalism needs uh, any kind of <laughs> further work. Um, but if you're if if, if you're on Twitter, Paul, and you look at Paul Polman's tweets um, regularly like I do, um, you know, there are some very prominent business leaders that are talking about the importance of corporate purpose and about serving the common good. Right. Um, it, it's not just... Uh, you don't have to be churchy to, to believe in the common good. and. Uh, you you know you don't have to share our faith to believe in the common good if you look at something like uh, Larry Fink's letter the chief executive of Blackrock um, his annual letter uh, this year was all about really the need to be able to articulate for, for their you know, their big managers mm-hmm. the need for companies to be able to articulate their purpose and how they're achieving their purpose so I think there's Quite a lot out there in in the ether at the moment about the need for alignment between what businesses do to make money and what society needs from them. Quite a lot about what license to operate means. Um, You know that you can't just expect uh, uh, to be left to get on with it um, if you want to raise capital from markets that dip into people's pensions Mm. and all the rest of it. I think there's something out there that's changing anyway. So I think this, the commissioners have been on a journey which has gone from these are the things we want to avoid to these are the things we want to change. I think at the same time, businesses, not just in this country but elsewhere, are also asking themselves, well, actually, how do we contribute to the common good? Uh, because they see sustainability coming from um, their licence to operate you know, continuing, so I think there is a, there's, there's an alignment here between what good businesses are moving towards and what investors want to see. And I'm, I'm about just helping being part of the Commissioner's team that closes that gap, that closes that gap. Uh, so uh, yes, I, I, I don't think we should think that we're the, the fount of all knowledge and all goodness on these things. I think there's lots of um, good people out there who are uh, running businesses who also want to be part of that story.
1: What effect do you think Brexit will have on on the church's finances?
0: I think we'll st- um, continue to see the potential for currency movements that are not highly predictable, mm-hmm. uh, as we have done over the last period since the referendum. But um, oh, and and it's you know it's very difficult to say beyond that quite what we'll see and where. And if you can point me to anyone out there who feels they've got the crystal ball on that, I'd really like to meet them. Right. But I think. The reason why I'm not panicking about that is because, as I say, we have got a very diversified portfolio that's geared to take a long-term view. And we're not talking, luckily, you know, this is not the, the, the premiership, we're not talking about um, you know, ne- needing to score goals in every game and every match and every season. We're talking about returns over 3, 5, 10, 30, uh, 50 years um, and that we need to keep our eye on. One of the things that the commissioners have to be very careful about is how much we distribute from our fund every year to our beneficiary, the church, and the huge temptation, of course, if you care as much as the commissioners do, and I'm very struck by how much they do uh, take it so seriously and do care about it so much, we want to see the church flourish. That's, That's why we're here. That's what gets us out of bed in the morning to come to church house on a day of Commissioner's Board meeting, in my case rather, a lot of days a week, is because we want the church to flourish. And the great temptation then is to just fund every, you know, to to meet every request for funding something to do with the church, with open arms. Um, There's many more funding requests and ideas than we can possibly meet, and honour that obligation that we have, if you look at Queen Anne behind you, uh, for this money to fund the church forever. This money is supposed to fund the church Forever, it's not um, a fund that's due to be spent out in the next sort of 10 years. And people say about the fund, you know, it's now standing at around the eight billion pound mark. People say, "Oh gosh, the commissioners have got so much money." Well, actually, it costs a billion and a half pounds a year to run the church. About two billion pounds of the fund is needed for the pensions. So we're talking about six billion left. That's four years worth, four years worth only of funding the church. So of course we can't meet all these funding needs, we can only make a contribution and we've been making a contribution of about 15% of the costs, £230 million um, in 2016 was the last reported figure. Um, And one of my great challenges is resisting all the temptations that I and my fellow commissioners feel to say yes to everything. We can't do that. Um, And it's not because we're hoarders, it's because we've got this long-term responsibility. But one thing we have decided to do is, quote, over-distribute for a period, um, even though that does eat into the assets that we've got for the Church of Tomorrow and Beyond, because of this decline in numbers in the Church, and to support the renewal and reform programme with strategic funding for work that is particularly trying to address and turn around. The number of people actually coming to church and uh, one of the things I get to do as a member of the Archbishop's Council and the Commissioner is to sit on the strategic investment board looking at funding requests for this strategic funding which I think the Commissioners are, are excited about and feel also a huge responsibility to make sure that that's spent well um, but we are and one of the things I'm trying to do on that, on, on that board is make sure that we're spending it towards that great picture of the the church for everyone and in all places. Um, I know there's been some question about whether it's very focused on young people in urban areas and um, supporting particular kinds of church tradition and not others. I'm very determined that it will support people of all kinds of church tradition, that it won't be um, focused uh, just on young people that it won't be just focused on urban You know that we'll remember um, that great opportunity we have to be alongside everyone
1: and, and is, is that going to be um, and I know what the answer to this would be yes. <laughs> but is it going to be um, well monitored because um, certainly mm. the, the impression in, in the early months was that, that um, quite a few of the schemes didn't seem to be particularly well mm. thought out and, and yet they were still getting the money for them
0: mm. I've been, I mean obviously I wasn't here right at the beginning, right. so I can't comment on the right at the beginning, right. but I've been to a couple of meetings now and I obviously have very extensive experience at Christian Aid of looking at bids and making bids and, and all of that and um, I would say the, 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 the bids that I've look, looked at, um, on the whole I'd say that they showed a great deal of thought and seriousness about how they would work. Um, that the reports we have are promising and mm-hmm. we're seeing early encouraging results and um, if everything worked perfectly we probably wouldn't be being brave enough sure. um, because we're talking about innovation and yeah. it's, it's not all um, not everything is going to work out all the time but the important thing is um, to get alongside those ambitious bids that look like they've got a chance of succeeding and and keeping close to them um, and so, and supporting what's going well, and, and, and encouraging mm. change where things aren't going so well.
1: You, um, and as Mark says, it's an important part of, of your your work. Um, mm. Which do you like best? Which are you? Are you a are you a, an investor or are you a spender? Are you? Do you enjoy spending or do you enjoy?
0: I enjoy reading? being part of the church's mission. And uh, you know the the focus of the strategic investment funding is really you know on very focused heavily at the moment on marks of mission one and two and to a certain extent three I would say I think the commissioners are pretty focused in so far as their work is missional uh, I'm not sure they would all say say it in those words but I say that's more like marks of mission four and five I love the church's mission I'm just so thrilled to be part of. That. So I I don't want to call myself an investor or a spender. Um,
1: <laughs> and is your daughter happy with your work at the moment?
0: Uh, I think she's yeah she's okay with it. <laughs> 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 I, I think uh, she's she's ha- she's happy when I'm um, yeah she's she's happy when I uh, actually do what I really believe in she and. She
1: sees uh, you coming home in a decent state at the
0: moment. Um, She's not at home anymore. Oh, she's 23, 23 and she's not my home. But she, still, she and I still sing in the same church choir that we went to that first day. Right. So I still see her on a Friday and a Sunday. Right. And yeah, I think she would say that um, it seems to be, seems to be working all right. <laughs> Thank you for listening to this week's episode of the Church Times podcast. You can find more news, analysis, comment and book reviews on our website, churchtimes.co.uk.